Uh, hey, if you've got your Bible, go ahead and get to Philippians chapter four. Philippians chapter four. Philippians chapter four, starting in verse 10. Philippians four, starting in verse 10. If we've not met, my name is Cade Pierce and I serve as the student pastor here. Uh, we'll wrap up our series to the book of Philippians today here in Philippians chapter four, starting in verse 10. If you don't have a Bible, there's a hardback black one in the chair underneath the chair you're sitting in. It'll be up on the screen. You can open up your device, but join me in Philippians chapter four, starting in verse 10. Around 3 billion of the 7.7 billion people on earth are classified in this category of unreached peoples. That is that they have not been reached with the gospel of Jesus. And a group of those people within that 3 billion people of unreached peoples are considered unengaged peoples. That is that not only are they not un not only are they not reached by the gospel, but they don't even have opportunity to hear the gospel because there's not a faithful gospel witness among them. And so I just want you to imagine for a minute that God calls you tonight to sell your house, quit your job, uproot your family, and go, wherever that might be, to one of those unreached, unengaged peoples to speak the gospel to them so that they might have the opportunity to come and believe in Christ and be welcomed into the family of God. Imagine that that happens tonight, that God calls you tonight to that work. I'd imagine that some of you might have a handful of questions for God at that point, all right? It's like, oh, I kind of like my job, God, right? God, how are we gonna pay for this? Like life costs money, God. I don't know if you knew that, but like we're gonna sell our house and we gotta live somewhere else. Our kids gotta eat. Where's that gonna come from, God? God, where are we gonna go? Like, we don't even know. Like, we don't know people on the other side of the world. What are we gonna do? You're telling us to go. What, how are we gonna? God, what happens if we get in trouble? Like, what happens if you call us to a country where people are mad at us for being about Jesus and we get thrown in jail? Like, what are we gonna do, God? You're gonna have a handful of questions for God. And really what you're asking, if you boiled it down, what you're really asking of God is, God, how are you gonna provide for the mission that you've called us on? Now, why do I tell you that? Because that's the very question that Paul's going to answer today in Philippians chapter four. How is it that God's gonna provide for his mission? And this is the answer. God provides for his mission by his strength and through his people. God provides for his mission by his strength and through his people. It might be helpful for us at this point just to define and clarify, make it really clear what we mean when I talk about the mission of God. Because for many of us, we can think about the mission of God just like I talked about. God calls somebody to go to some country where they don't know the language and tell them the gospel so that those people can believe in Jesus. And certainly that is a part of the mission of God, but it is not the totality of the mission of God. In fact, the mission of God doesn't, happen to ha doesn't have to happen on the other side of the world. The mission of God can happen around your dinner table in your neighborhood, at your school, at your workplace is where the mission of God happens because the mission of God is defined really clearly in Matthew chapter 28. Jesus says in verse 18 and following, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm, all, I'm with you always to the end of the age. The mission is this, make disciples. And so wherever disciples of Jesus are being made, the mission of God is happening. 
So the mission of God is to make disciples, specifically disciples of Jesus. And the question for how does God provide for his mission is God provides for his mission by his strength and through his people. And I think we'll see that clearly in Philippians chapter 4, 10 and following. So if you're able, I would invite you to stand in honor of reading God's word. We'll read Philippians chapter 4, 10 through 20. At the end of our reading, we say this phrase, the very word, just as a means to separate God's perfect words from mine that are not. This is what the word of God says. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I'm to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians know, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. You can have a seat. So two parts to this main idea. God provides for his mission by his strength and through his people. The first part is God provides for his mission by his strength. You see that in verses 10 and following. Paul starts, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So he just starts like this, like, hey, Philippians, I'm really super pumped that you guys are caring about me now. I'm really grateful for that. I know that you always have, but like you just didn't have an opportunity to care for me. I just want to acknowledge for a little bit. I'm really grateful that you care about me. So thanks. However, in verse 11, he shifts and makes this contrasting statement. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. So I just want you to be clear, Philippians. I'm grateful that you care about me, but I'm not telling you that I have some kind of need. Not that I am speaking of being in need, verse 11, for I have learned in whatever situation I'm to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing Plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul makes it clear. Look, I'm grateful that you have revived your concern for me. But listen, I don't have a need because I've just learned what it means to be content. I've learned the secret of being in want and having plenty of being at the bottom and being at the top. Because on this mission, it is up and down and it is all over the place. And here's the secret, friends. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Because God provides for his mission by his strength. Now, let's just think about the mission that Paul has been called on by God. Acts chapter 9, God saves Paul on the road to Damascus, calls him into this mission. And we'll just highlight a couple of the things along the way. Acts chapter 14, he is stoned and left for dead. Like rocks are thrown on him and they think he's dead. Let's just leave now. He's not dead because Acts chapter 15, Paul speaks to the Jerusalem council about the inclusion of the Gentiles into the people of God. And check it out. They listen. He, I mean, he like affects Christianity for the rest of forever. That's a pretty good day. Acts chapter 16, he's thrown in jail with Silas in Philippi. Later in Acts chapter 16, he's freed from jail miraculously by an angel. 
Acts chapter 19, a riot is incited in Ephesus because of what Paul has said. Later, Paul, he's arrested and tried before Roman government and then put on Roman house arrest. So on this mission, Paul faces some of the greatest days and some of the worst days. And so how do you get through that kind of stuff? He is not saying, well, because you just got to be strong. No, that's not what he says. Rather, he says, I have learned what it means to be content. Whether it's a good day or bad day, whether I'm wanting or I have plenty. And the answer is I can do all things through him who strengthens me. But what's required of us to be that kind of way? We want to live on mission like that. What's required of us? What was required of Paul? Look at verse 11. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. That's the key word. I'm to be content. Frank Thielman and Gordon Fee in their commentaries highlight that word and say that Paul's actually pulling on a stoic philosophy idea of the day. That stoic philosophers would have understood that word contentment to actually mean complete self-sufficiency. That to be content is to be completely reliant on yourself, to be completely sufficient in yourself such that you have no need of outward help. You don't need somebody to give you money. You don't need somebody to give you encouragement. You don't need any kind of resources. You have all that it takes in the house. You've got what it takes inside of yourself. You are completely self-sufficient. That's how Stoic philosophers would have understood contentment. But let's just be honest. That's just not a Stoic philosophy idea. That's an American idea. We love to be self-sufficient. We don't want help. We get it done. I will do it. I have the ability. I don't ever want to be in a scenario where I feel like I can't. And so we have transferred that stoic idea into 21st century Christianity. But Paul doesn't say that contentment is self-sufficiency. Rather, he says it's something completely different. Check out verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So Paul doesn't say the secret of contentment is self-sufficiency. Rather, he says the secret of contentment is Christ-sufficiency. It's not self-reliance. It's Christ-reliance. Now, I just wonder if some of us Myself included. So hear me, I'm talking to me. I wonder if some of us shy away from or refuse to step out on the mission of Jesus fully because we know it's gonna require us to reject our self-reliance at some point. God, you're gonna call me to some place where I don't have the ability to do it. God, you're gonna call me to some place where I don't have the money, I don't have the resource, I don't have the people, I don't have the know-how. God, I just know that's what you're gonna do. So I'm not gonna step over there because I don't know how to do that, God. I'm not going to go over there because that's too scary, God. I don't have the ability to do that, God. I don't know how, I don't have a plan, God. It's not in my, I have a to-do list on how life's going to go, God. And that is not on it. And hear me, I think that's precisely where God would like to call us. Because it's in those moments where we take a step and we're like, God, I I don't even know. Like, you got to do something, man where we say, I cannot be reliant on myself. And God invites us in to say, I know. And you can be reliant on me because you don't have the know-how, but I do. You don't have the resource, but I do. You don't have the people, but I do. You don't have the money, but I do. 
And so God calls us into this mission in places where we feel so uncomfortable because it's in those places where we abandon reliance to ourselves and embrace reliance on Jesus. And so I just wonder where might God be calling some of you today where you're forced to abandon reliance on yourself and embrace reliance on Jesus. Because I think it's in that place that you find yourself in the middle of the mission of God. And in that mission, God provides for that mission through his strength, just like he did for Paul. So God provides for his mission by his strength. And the second thing is that God provides for his mission through his people. Look at verse 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even at Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. The second point is God provides for his mission through his people. It is those that are affected by the mission that are then generous for the mission. You can think about it like this. If you've lived in Texas for more than two seconds, you followed a car with this sticker on the back. Century Club member, Association of Former Students, Texas A&M University, right? It's probably those people. And so I would assume the person that has that sticker on the back of their vehicle has at least attended, if not graduated from Texas A&M University. And they have this Century Club member sticker. They don't just pass those out of graduation. To get one of those stickers, you have to make a financial donation to Texas A&M University. A financial donation that is not necessarily for your benefit, rather for the benefits of the current students that are there now. You see, what they found is this school that has shaped me, I am now deciding to be generous toward because you have had a hand in shaping who I am. I will be generous for the sake of you shaping people that are beyond me. Now, how much more? Those of us who have been shaped by the mission of God, should we be generous for the sake of the mission of God? Because it is those that are shaped by the mission that are generous for the sake of the mission. And now let me just address this because people get antsy. You're like, I knew it. I've been around you Christian people long enough. You're gonna try to get my money. I just knew it. I knew it. And so like, yeah, we're gonna throw the student pastor on stage and ask people to give their money. That's what we're gonna do today. Let me just give you two things. One, this is not a drive-by guilting to get you to give your money today. This isn't that. That would be so unhelpful. And I've said this to us before. God is not after your money. He's after way more than that. He's after your heart and all that comes with it. Second thing, generosity should be defined way more broadly than just money. Generosity should be defined in being generous with your money, no doubt, but also being generous with your time and being generous with your possessions. We should understand generosity takes many forms. However, none of them get to be avoided. None of us get to walk out of here and say, did you hear, Kay? Generosity takes many forms. We ain't got to give money ever. 
That is not what I said. (laughs) Generosity should be defined broadly. Time, money, and possessions, and none of them get to be avoided by us. Because here's the truth. Psalm 24, verse 1 says this. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Here's the point. God owns everything that you have. Your money, your time, your schedule, your stuff. It is God's. And so we would do well to start living like that's true. So if you find yourself stingy toward God with your money or stingy toward God with your time or stingy toward God with your stuff, you may have just located your idol. And you would do well to tear it down. Because here's the the truth. God is not dependent on our generosity to accomplish his mission. He's not waiting on us. He's not saying, I wish those folks at Bay Area Church would give just a little bit more money so we could get these people saved. He's not. However, he is, by his grace, inviting us in to be a part of it. Our ability to be generous with our money and our time and our stuff is actually a work of God's grace in our life. And to not participate is to miss out on that grace. Because God provides for his mission through his people. And so maybe a question that you might have is, okay, but what, like, what happens when we do that? What are the effects of that generosity? What are the effects of mission-driven generosity? A couple of things we see in verse 14 and following. Look at verse 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent help for my needs once and again. Paul highlights this. Look, I'm so grateful that you partnered with me, no doubt financially partnered with me. Maybe you encouraged me in word and with people. Certainly you partnered with me in a number of ways. And here's what that mission-driven generosity did. The first thing is this, it forwarded the mission. The first thing that mission-driven generosity does is forwards the mission. That it forwarded the mission of the gospel through Paul. He says in verse 15, when I left Macedonia, the region that Philippi was in, when I left it, why? To take the gospel to another people. You supported me. When I was in Thessalonica, a place that is not your town, you supported me. And it was through your support and your generosity that the mission went forward. And so when we are generous, when we give for the sake of the mission, it forwards the mission. How does that happen here at Bay Area? When you give, when you are generous, disciples are made and kid men and student men and adult ministry through living water off our campus People are affected by the gospel through 4BDRN, through Crisis Pregnancy Center, through Anchor Point. Through your giving, people are affected by the gospel in the northeast of the United States. You will never see them. And perhaps those people believe in Jesus because of your faithfulness to be generous. On the other side of the globe, people are affected by the gospel in Lebanon through a center because of your faithful generosity. Because when the people of God are generous, the mission moves forward. It's one of the ways that God provides for the mission. He provides for the mission through his people. 
second effect of mission-driven generosity we see in verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Paul says to them, again, look, I'm not looking for you to give me some money. I'm actually looking for the fruit that increases to your credit. Because here's the truth. The second effect of mission-driven generosity is this. Fruit is born in the giver. Fruit is born in the giver. Frank Thielman in his commentary on Philippians says this, the Philippians generosity was a concrete demonstration that God was completing the good work that he had started in them when they believed. He says this, that that generosity toward Paul for the sake of the mission was actually evidence that God was at work in them. And so it will be with us. Jesus says it like this in John 15 verse eight, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. That the proof of our discipleship can be our generosity. In fact, I think that the people of God should be the most generous people. Again, we're defining this broadly, but the people of God should be the most generous people because When we give, fruit is born in us and that fruit is evidence of our discipleship of Jesus because the people of Jesus are a generous people. And that generosity is evidence that God is at work in us. When we give for the sake of the mission, it forwards the mission and fruit is born in those who give. The third thing we see in verse 18 I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. The the third effect of mission-driven generosity is that God is worshiped. God is worshiped. When we give for the sake of the mission, God is worshiped. I hope that you saw or heard some really familiar language. He says on the back half of verse 18, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. That ought to call to mind language from Romans chapter 12, where Paul says this in verse one, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So here's the message of Paul to the church at Rome. In light of what the gospel has done in you, I'm urging you to put your body on the the altar of God and sacrifice yourself. And doing so is actually an act of worship. I have a friend who says it like this, that worship is, it involves the whole self. And so maybe we could borrow some language from Paul here in Romans chapter 12 and say it a little bit like this. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bank accounts and your schedules and your stuff as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Because when the people of God are generous, it is an act of worship. God is actively worshiped through our generosity. So it was with the Philippians, so it will be with us. And so I'm just curious, do you typically think of giving like that? 
Do you typically think of giving as an act of worship or do you typically think of giving as a duty that you need to fulfill so that you don't feel guilty? One is true and the other isn't. When we give for the sake of the mission, God is worshiped. Fourth thing we see in verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. The fourth effect of mission-driven generosity is we are reminded that God is the best giver. We're reminded that God is the best giver. Look back at verse 19 with, with me. Paul reminds the Philippians, and my God, you know what he'll do? He'll supply, he will give toward every need that you have. Why? Because he's the best giver. How will he do that? According to his riches in glory in Christ. You see, the greatest act of generosity was displayed in God giving his son. John 3, 16 says it like this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Here's the reality. You and I are busted by this stuff called sin. It's in every part of us. It affects the way we think. It affects the way that we speak. It affects the way that we act. It has invaded every area of our life. And it's not just in you, it's in the world around you. Sin has busted everything. And left to ourselves, we have no hope of being reconciled, of being brought back into a relationship with a God because God is holy and we aren't. And yet God in his love, maybe we could say it like this, and yet God in his generosity gave his son Jesus to come and live and be holy where we were supposed to be holy but aren't. And then to die on a cross, taking our wrath for our sin and then going into the grave and rising from the dead such that anybody who believes on Jesus, who confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead, you can be, because of the generosity of God, be welcomed into the family of God. It was God's generosity that allowed us to be saved. And so if our God is a generous God, shouldn't we, his people, be a generous people? It ought to be a mark of who we are because it's a mark of who our God is. It's God's generosity toward us in Christ that motivates us to be generous because God's the best giver. Because God provides for his mission through his people. And so I just want to ask you one question. What mission-driven step is God going to call you to take today? For some of you, it might be you stepping into some scenario where you think, I don't have what it takes here, God. Like, I don't have it all in the house, man. But the step of obedience is to step out because God provides for his mission 
by his strength, you, you might see God work in such a way that you would never see otherwise because you relied on yourself. But God is inviting you to step into a place where it forces you to rely on him. Maybe it's in your job. Maybe it's in how you're leading your family. Maybe it's in where you live. Maybe it's in how you live. I don't know. I don't know what God might be calling you to do, but I hope that you would hear that from God and just be faithful to step saying, God, I have no idea how you're gonna come through here, but I'm trusting that you're gonna come through here because you provide for your mission through your people. Maybe that's how God will call you to take a mission-driven step today. Maybe for others of you, the mission-driven step for you today is to be generous. And again, let me just make it real clear. I'm not asking you to feel guilty so you give some money. I am asking you to think about bearing the character of disciples of Jesus. And so maybe the step for you today is to be generous. Perhaps it's with your money. Perhaps it's with your time. Perhaps it's with your stuff. Because God provides for his mission through his people. And in doing so, God's worshiped. And you, you model what the gospel looks like. So again, I'll ask you the question, what mission-driven step do you need to take today? And what I'm going to do is here in a moment when I pray, I'm just going to ask God to give us, us, the courage to be obedient to whatever it might be. So why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes? So, Father, that is what I'm asking of you. You would help us to be obedient to whatever the step is for the sake of the mission. Whatever it might be, God, we want to be obedient because we want this mission to go forward. We want it to affect so many people around us. And what's more than that, we want to be in it. I'm, I'm certain that can be uncomfortable. I'm certain that can be scary. So where there is fear, eliminate it. Where we need boldness, provide it. God, open our ears that we would hear and obey. We need you, Lord. So by your spirit, empower us for the work ahead. We ask for that in Jesus' name.